Rifle Coffee Podcast, Kevin Reeves, Baker Levitt, Nick Norris from Protect. Thanks for coming, man. I appreciate oh, you. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's first so time meeting you, and we're already giggling on Baker yeah. stories. We've, already, we've used all the good material <laughs> yeah. already. It's so. gone. No, it was funny. Uh, we were in Midland on a dove shoot mm-hmm. with uh, some of the investors in Protect, and like we're riding in the car, and so it's like it's me and Nick, and Nick was a seal, and you know I've had tons of conversations with seals, and Andrew Pouch was a was an EOD guy. Sure. Um, and you know i've heard those stories and i was like so like tim like what'd you do and he like what what was your job in the in the navy and he drove some boat he was a surface warfare officer yeah driver. and i was like did you like it he goes fuck no <laughs> <laughs> he I, goes he goes i fucking hated it and like you i could just hear you laughing i was so here's here's my honest opinion i thought you were teeing it up and asking him questions to basically talk shit to him, uh-huh. you were not. You were asking curiosity-based questions. Yeah. And I, it, it, I was dying. And I, I told Kevin when <laughs> we I came just in, I shared it. the same exact yeah. story. And I'm like, I'm like, I love Baker because he's genuinely cu- curious about everything. Mm-hmm. Well, so the- <laughs> and he will remember whatever you say. Totally. He remembers all of it. I yeah. can tell you like what bats people are in, what units. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, but and, and here's the thing. This is interesting. Like this kind of ties into some of the stuff we'll talk about. Two percent of the U.S. population is in active duty or served prior service, so veterans. So, and then we nod our heads, but we didn't know that. He know, knows I that. I didn't know that. I pretend. <laughs> like so I when that, you, but. but when you think about that, so um, soft guys. What percent of soft guys make up the 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 military? So it's like. There's what? How many of you guys all combined? Like maybe ten, fifteen, twenty thousand tops. Like on the on the high end. Yeah, like I was it, hope, I hope I was hoping you had that figure yeah, for us. No, same. but like if you do, so like there's okay. there's what there's 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 three <laughs> ranger battalions or basically a force. So that's like we'll say four thousand tops. PJs, there's like thirteen of you yeah. that cover the entire globe <laughs> yeah. at any given time. Yep. Well, now so my old ranger battalion, they added a whole company, maybe two. Mm-hmm. They they have bumped their numbers. Now this is several years ago, but. There's not but very many. There's way more seals actually yeah. than there are rangers. Yeah, yeah. How many rangers? Then? There's thirty. All right, so, so super fast math. You got four platoons typically in a company. Uh, now it's four companies plus HHC. A platoon's thirty. Okay. You know something like that. That fourth platoon is like your attachments. You know other yep. shit. So whatever the fuck that is. So 30, first 60, bat, 90, second, third bat. There's about twelve hundred in each one. Yeah, and then you got you know regiment, yeah. regimental headquarters, like all your S shops. So, so like four thousand. Okay. Yeah. Somebody correct me. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, so like, right but, but like yeah. that makes up seventy five percent of the casualties. This come from the soft community, believe it or not. Special ops community, yeah. Interesting. General Huttmacher told me that. Special Operations Warrior Foundation. The more, you, the more you know. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so, but the, the the point of that is that like, people, civilians. There's way more of us than there are of you, and you know the the most basic thing that every single person that served in the military has in common is like, boot camp or basic training. Mm. As a civilian, we don't have exposure to that. And we don't, it's not like information you pick up on the street growing up, like what is a surface warfare officer? You know, who knows sure. what any of that is? Yeah. Well, and then even the cross-service titles. And so, like, I, honestly, man, Navy, I deal with and work with SEALs for years and years. Yeah. I know that. Your rank structure, the names. <laughs> a buddy of mine the other day uh, works in my hometown. He's like, uh, what, did, what, did, what did I, I was teasing him. He's a Navy guy. And I go, so you're a seaman. He worked on an aircraft carrier. He's like, actually, I'm a airman. I their, go, their no, I thought we owned system. airmen in, in PJ land, right, you right, know. Right. But. Their, their, their whole, like, ranking system is super bizarre. And the most, like, 
demoralizing. I think it's called you in the SEAL community. You call it your rating. Sure. So yep. it's not like Nick Norris Navy SEAL or Trevor Thompson Navy SEAL. It's like Trevor Thompson like boatswain coxswain you, man. You, used yep. to be. Used to be. Like, they changed they, it. They changed it. Yeah. So you became a SEAL as a rating. So you could actually go into boot camp with under like a SEAL contract, uh, a SEAL mm. challenge contract, and you didn't have to go to like BM school yeah. or CT school or whatever. They were very unflattering names. For yeah. like job titles, it's yeah. like I thought, Both was, I thought this guy was a seal, third class. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Seal. Under, yeah. yeah, I didn't understand it either. Yeah. That, yeah. that additional rating, like I'm talking yep. to a buddy of mine who's a dev group guy and all the shit. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, I came in as like a blah blah, yep. and then became a seal, but I maintained that rating of some shit as a title. I'm yep. Like, Until I they, s- they switched over to seal operator as the rating, uh, so then you became an SO. So instead of one SO two, when was that? Um, I mean, it was when I was. I mean, I was in an O three to thirteen, and by. The guys that I went through buds with mm. still had, uh, you know, ratings. They went into through boot camp, went to Boatswain's Mate mm. School, yep. and did that, and then went to buds. I think, I mean, it probably it had to be after like two thousand four or five. Okay. Somebody, okay. Uh, somebody will correct me on it, but yeah, it, I it don't was, know what I'm talking about. But yep. yeah, it's it's it you. It's like how often do you get to talk to a person as a civilian that like drove like a military boat as mm. a job, and it's like, oh, well, like what's it like driving that boat? He's like, it was a big slow clunky piece of yeah. shit tim so should have been honored and yet he snapped back at you <laughs> yeah. and thought you were he belitt- hated it. He, you were belittling him yeah. and dressing him down no but it's as did i yeah but it's That's it's fun. like you it's just <laughs> i think it's super interesting you know yeah. like you know it, like it takes an you know saying is it takes an army to accomplish something you know i don't know i just i'm super curious about it i never did it and i just like meeting people that did it so i can ask them questions you some are talkative it. some are like it takes a lot of guys like you know like you know like TFO guys or like DevGrew guys or CAD guys, it takes a minute to crack the shell to be like, no, like, listen, like, I'm like legitimately curious about like, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. want secrets it took or me like gunfights, yeah. but like, like, what was the hardest thing you ever did? You ever been scared? You know, like, you ever shit your pants? Yeah. In a gun yeah, but, fight? Like, but when you approach, you approach Tim like that or mm-hmm. you ask me a question like that, yeah. I immediately assume it's like one of us talking to each other fucking and you're doing it to talk shit <laughs> yeah. to me you're teeing me up to actually take myself so seriously yep. that i tell you a legit i give you a legit answer to yeah. it yeah 100 percent. like I baiting made, me i yeah. made the mistake yesterday of doing that to scott bollinger oh and i got a 30 go? minute answer oh because really? i always thought scott like hated me he actually i think he likes me no oh. scott's like our evan's like chief of staff he's uh-huh. like a 22 year uh, 19th group guy he's like he's a hulking like 6'5 he's just yep. yeah, he's a giant he's a giant man and like he just walks around really nice too. he's really is and I was like alright man shoot me straight what was the hardest part of the Q course and you can't say the Delta program because we all know that's hard what was the physically hardest part and he told me this like 30 minute story and I was like man I just wanted like a 10 second hit. <laughs> like <laughs> I just want to get in and get out that's where yeah. Baker draws a line yeah, yeah. his curiosity yeah. ends and he only has a 10 second attention minimal well, details like, yeah, just, I, you know, I like to preface those like okay answer to X 30 seconds go yeah yeah that would work yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. all right so we have we have a lot a lot to cover a lot sure. of cool today. shit to talk a lot of a lot of synergy however where'd you grow up uh grew up in Chicago Okay. Yeah. Chi Town. Yeah, Chicago. So, uh, South Side, actually in the city. Okay. Um, but like blue collar, uh, Irish Catholic neighborhood. You know, you identify yourself with the, the parish, mm-hmm. like the Catholic church of that course. you're going to. Everybody's parents were either police officers, firefighters, or tradesmen. Um, and then I ended up going to high school in uh, a pretty rough neighborhood, uh, Chicago Mount Carmel. It's like an all boys Catholic high school. Mm-hmm. That's what we, what we do in Chicago. You go to all guys, uh, high school. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Sports. 
I wrestled. I played football initially, figured out that at 5'6", 135 pounds, I wasn't going to be a, a, a starter. That's and a weight cost, though, so you... Totally, yeah. 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 So, I mean, but I, I, so I ended up taking up wrestling late, um, yeah. started freshman year, and uh, I mean, I owe a lot to it. It's like like the thing that built all the discipline and kind of like self-motivation i agree wrestlers are different humans i wrestled a little bit in high school not accomplished not good but it definitely develops a work ethic yeah well i wouldn't i wouldn't label myself as good or accomplished (laughs) but i struggled i struggled i wrestled behind some really talented guys you know a lot of guys from our high school would end up going to like big 10 schools and wrestle and they were just better than me you know who else attributes their success in their early early military career to wrestling is jericho denman Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did not know that. I I he know said, that. he said, he, um, I think they lived in Germany at the time. And, like, the wrestling coach was, like, a, like a, a, a pastor or something. Okay. A chaplain. All right. And he said that their wrestling practices were so hard, it made, like, ranger school, like, not easy, but, like, very, oh, yeah. very, very bearable. It's a grind. It's for yeah. sure a grind, at least in my limited experience. This is fucking delicious. This Thank watermelon yeah. hydration. Yeah. Brand, brand new. I haven't had that one yet. Speaking yeah. of hydration, I mean, that was part of the reason wrestling practices in high school. I mean, I didn't wrestle in college. They got even worse, supposedly. My roommate in college was a uh, collegiate wrestler. It's horrible. You're, re- you're training dehydrated um, a lot of the time because you're, you're cutting weight. I mm-hmm. cut 30 pounds by senior year from, like, 175 to 145. You cut 30? You had to fit the lineup, right? So yeah. like you, you learn how to, like you have to be a team player. There's a gap in the lineup. I, you know, I struggled. I wasn't as talented as other guys, so I had to cut the weight to fill a gap in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, so training dehydrated, it's like terrible. It's horrible. Yeah. Well, for even head trauma. I mean, that's a yeah. huge thing. You look at when they were cutting weight at the UFC. Still to this day, totally that lack of fluid and then getting smashed in the head. Yeah. you've lost a barrier of protection that you walk around with daily. Oh yeah, you're yeah. You don't you don't have the the buffer right when yeah. you're taking that concussive uh, force. So. Yeah, as a, a, a wrestler, I would uh, concur with the assessment that, like, some of the stuff I did wrestling in high school in practice mm-hmm. in those conditions um, was was harder than things that I did in the military. Really? Not all of it, right? Being cold and buds was terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. But, um, yeah, it definitely preps you. Like, okay. It creates that discipline. So high school, what's after high school? College, uh, where'd you go? I went to the Naval Academy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh fuck. <laughs> I'm talking to it. You come off as enlisted, and I just realized you're uh, a fucking officer. And I had, you asked the question, I had to be honest. A midshipman tells no lie. Aren't you supposed to wear your Naval Academy? I right? have it. I put it in the bag. I didn't want to like let the Actually, the this is hilarious. I went and I, chased down Ben Miller, and when Ben, I introduced Ben to him, I was like, Naval Academy guy. His face lit up. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I'm so happy to find a fellow finally, Academy finally guy. Finally, another dude that yeah. gets, uh, gets teased. I've been yeah. belittled by everybody around yeah. here. Actually, grew up in Ohio. My folks were like, you got to go to college. Got to go to college. Got to yep. go to college. Mine for were what, the same. For whatever reason, we were, we used to go to Florida, and I think we were passing by road tripping. You know, we'd road trip to Florida, come back, and we stopped at the Naval Academy and did the tour. Okay. And I remember seeing, like, the uniforms and the glass and all the shit and the water. I'm like, well, I'm going to go here. I'm not smart. So <laughs> <laughs> that that never happened, but I remember being all about it. How old yeah. were you? Oh, gosh. I was probably... 12 maybe yeah. 10 so, I, I don't know somewhere yeah. in there first second third grade we lived in new york city st patrick's 101st street you identify with the parish mm-hmm. um my stepfather at the time west point grad was at columbia getting his master's degree yeah. and then we he was going to teach at west point and so here i am this little you know first second grader from you know georgia and we went up to view west point in november and it was just started snowing a little bit and i was like Oh my God! It's the most on to this day. 
as far as like awe-inspiring things I've seen as a kid, like it, I'll never forget it. I don't know if I place this memory or if it's actually a memory. You will know. Is there a Marine Corps uniform, sword and all, in behind glass? There probably is. There's a lot of stuff behind glass. I just there. remember looking at that. I'm like, I do this, I get a fucking sword. Yeah. I yeah. was all in. Yeah. 10, 12 years old, I'm like, fuck yeah. I'm sure if, uh, I mean, I don't even, I can't recall the name of the hall, but there's like the big kind of ceremonial, like mm-hmm. loose hall. Yeah. And they have like all the cases with like John Paul Jones sword and stuff like I that. I mean, let's face it, all of those, like West Point, Naval Academy. Yeah. I live by the Air Force Academy in Colorado. Okay. And I got a turnkey um, tour from mm-hmm. a buddy of mine who I was doing PJ stuff with. He was actually a combat rescue officer. We were still friends, but I didn't like him. I'm kidding. He's awesome. Dude. <laughs> but, but he like walked us through, you know, we went to look at everything. They all own some of the best real estate in the entire country. Yeah. And the Air beautiful. Force Academy is literally sitting where I would place my house if I was Lewis and Clark. And I'm like, fucking right there looks perfect. Yeah. And the Air Force Academy is like, now nah, we'll keep that. Yeah. You don't get to enjoy it while you're there at all. It's like being in prison. I enjoy it because my son played lacrosse there. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, well, I th- but I th- also, I think West Point is very strategically located at the time. Mm-hmm. And they chose that. Like, it was, you know, I think it was a very strategic huh. location. And then yeah. the Air Force went, we like pretty things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, you got to the Naval Academy. Naval Academy. I So how – hold on. How – most people that go to the Naval Academy or the, the, the service academies go – with the intentions of playing a sport or they have to participate in some sport, sure. right? Mm. That doesn't last past the freshman year, right? Because it is hard as hell at well, those schools. Well, you're, you're man, it's mandated that you participate in, like, some type of athletics, right? So if you're either a varsity athlete, like you got recruited to go play football mm-hmm. or wrestle or play basketball, mm-hmm. um, or you got to play an intramural. Um, so you play, like, intramural soccer or yeah. um, there's clubs. Like, you can do marathon yeah. club. Uh, I went there. I mean, I was a wrestler. I was thinking about wrestling there. Uh, did not, so I played some rugby, and then I was in the marathon club as a uh, kind of like a loophole in order to start adventure racing and ultra running. Oh, okay. Um, to your point about like going to the academy when you were like 10, 12, mm-hmm. um, like I, I just had like this innate desire. Like I wanted to be in the military probably in seventh grade. I was probably 11, 12 years mm-hmm. old, and I wanted to be a SEAL. Yeah. So it like started super early. Well, how'd you, but how did you know what SEALs were? Like how did you get exposure? Like so Dave Castro <laughs> – you know Castro from CrossFit. Yeah. Dave Castro went and saw The Rock his senior year of high school and was like, I want to become a SEAL. Okay. And that is why he became a yeah. SEAL. What triggered you wanting to be a SEAL? So one of my closest friends uh, that I went to grade school with, a guy named Mike Hurley, uh, was way into the military. He was like, he he was into it before I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up serving in the Marine Corps for a while. And then Mike told me, like, hey man, like, like this is the military. Like, told me all about it. And then I asked him, I'd be like, okay, what, you know, are there special things you can do? And I think Mike uh, pointed to the SEAL teams of many, you know, you know special forces, mm-hmm. you know, like anything soft related. Mm-hmm. And I read uh, Richard Marcinko's book, Road Warrior. Hell Road yes. Yeah. So, like, I, I, so that was the inspiration in seventh grade. I'll be honest. And uh, Demolition Day. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's yeah. honestly, and this is, this is important and we're, you know, being jovial about it. But everybody that asked me, I had a kid here. The other mm-hmm. day, you know, he's working here. He signed up and he said, well, what, like, what would you do? I go, it doesn't matter what you choose, but pick an elite unit that you will go to. Mm-hmm. I like to say you will go to instead of you'll try to go to because mm-hmm. I think it's a mindset thing. Yep. But you'll have people do the recruiter. I mean, this is honestly a statement that we put out over and over again. Like, don't trust that recruiter because he's got quotas. But if you go someplace special, you'll get funding, which is super important, and ultimately missions. If yep. you go to regular 
great. Everybody stands up, steps up to the plate, does their service, super respectful. But if you want to do a career, it's like, why not shoot for that, you know, rad thing? You know, go to yep. the SEAL teams or try out for SF. I think you can get contracts for SF now. Well, I think spe- especially when uh, when you're not in wartime years, mm-hmm. like there's going to be, I mean, typically there's going to be work and employment for SOF. Right. I will say, I mean, I served from 03 to 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the guys I served with that were uh, conventional Marine Corps infantry, Army infantry. Hard as shit. Some of the most heroic yep. people that I had the privilege of serving with in combat. And uh, during wartime, if you're going into a combat arms profession, you're going to get some. And yep. sometimes those guys saw more. I mean, I'll tell you, they saw more daylight combat, like gnarly, gnarly combat. 100%. Than any of us, right? Yep. For At least from the soft community and the, the SEAL teams that I was deployed with. That's a great perspective, though. That I hadn't thought about the non-wartime, you know, sure. trying to go to special operations. Not only, you know, could you have mission sets that you're able to accomplish, but the the high level of training and things that you could get along that path after the GWAT. I haven't fully yeah. metabolized the fact that I'm still in the guard, so it's like, yeah. what the fuck do I do now? I don't have a deployment on the books. Right. I don't have anything. Yeah. But that's an awesome perspective. Actually. Yeah, it's kind of perplexing for me. I talk to yeah. guys that are still in. Like, I'll see guys at, like, the climbing gym, mm-hmm. and they're, like, young SEALs. You can just pick them out of the crowd. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you guys doing now? And, like, some of the guys, like, they're not even deploying, right? They're just, like, on ready, yeah. and they're training mm-hmm. the entire time. Um, and that's how it was you know, pre nine eleven. I was pre nine eleven, barely. Okay. I would literally showed up to meet Jericho Denman in August, I think, and then we jumped into Germany as a training exercise and September eleventh kicked off while we were in Germany. Okay. On my very first T D Y and I'd been there for maybe a week, not even, like four days before the workup to go to Germany. Yeah. So wow. I was like, Whoa. All right. Shit well, just got real. Things are gonna get different it's it's interesting that you said that about like seeing like daylight combat stuff because like i know guys that were green berets for 15 20 years um like and maybe had one deployment under their belt and then you look at some guys that are like 101st 82nd 10th mountain guys Mm -hmm. and like all they did was fight yeah but they might have had one deployment but it was a year long yeah yeah instead of three months you know or whatever rotation they were on yeah and when you say daylight I can remember specifically my very first daylight mission out of Ramadi, and it was fucking terrifying. Because huh, we did everything else. It was High Valley Target. We had to go. And it what, was what, year, what year in Ramadi? I think it was three. Okay. No, 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 I lied. It was four. It was okay. for sure four. Um, we got spun up, cruised over to Shark Base, and I, I was perplexed. I'm like, we've done everything at night. Oh. Everything, minus patrols in Afghanistan, totally different. <laughs> but Iraq shit, everything was at night, and this was the first daytime one. Number one, I'm sweating fucking profusely. Sure. And I'm trying to figure out my iPro situation because shit's all it's foggy. fogging up. I'm fogged up. I'm fucked up. It I'm always like, does. And I'm running an SR-25. Okay. So I'm like, <laughs> fucking glasses, see, I'm going to lose an eye and not get to enjoy the firefight. But I distinctly remember that first daytime. Uh, yeah. And it is fucking terrifying. I mean, and I, it was one of those dry holes where you show up and the food's hot. Fuck. <laughs> we just drove across town during the day. Yeah. Like risked all that shit for fucking Yeah, fuck that. We Scary. did I mean I when I I went through Buds in 03, um got to SEAL Team Three in 05, mm-hmm. and then we deployed uh to Al Ambar in 06. So like Jocko Willink's troop was yep. our sister troop in Ramadi mm-hmm. and then we were in outside of Chaldea. Um but as a young SEAL, like I'm a new guy SEAL officer. It was like one of two or three new guys there's like two officers and one enlisted guy right the only new guys everything we did in training was nighttime kind of direct action mm-hmm. all that stuff all on nods 
And then we show up in country and we find out like, you know, the enemy's fighting during the day for the most part. Yeah. Like, and if we're going to support the conventional kind of units, right, that are out there holding terrain on a daily basis and going out and doing daylight patrols to contact, like, we're not just going to stay out at night. Right. Like, I mean, frankly, within our little group, I mean, we're like, hey, like, we're not going to be cowards. Mm-hmm. Like, these guys live in a shithole uh, on a combat outpost. And they are literally going out every single day and then coming back and getting mortared all day long. Yeah. Like, you know, past the, the Ford Trace, right? Mm-hmm. In the enemy terrain. And like the first day we went out there, we like drove into this combat outpost. Uh, it's called OK Corral or Cowboy, mm-hmm. uh, just north of the 611 bridge in Alambar province. And there were Marine Corps uh, 3 5 was the MIT that was there training the Iraqi conventionals. And they were like, hey, guys, we're like, we're like, hey, how do we support? They're like, hey, we're going out at a, uh, like a battalion-sized daylight patrol, like, yep. into, you know, enemy-controlled territory. Mm-hmm. Hey, count us in. We'll take our Iraqi soft guys. We went out. And like, no kidding, uh, 50 yards outside of the first, like, outside of the gate, walking through a farm field. Like, we had an IED go high order in, like, the farm <laughs> field behind us. Like, full-on, like... Uh, Vietnam like platoon movie like dirt falling on people guys yelling like I can I mean I remember it mm-hmm. vividly strong pointing a house and then the rest of the, six hours of patrolling in the heat yeah like guys come back and like you thought training was hard I had guys that are like just complete animals like my my automatic weapons gunners mm-hmm. I mean heat stroke basically Gassed. I had to like radio back to our troop commander and say like hey boss I know uh, we we told you we were going to do like two patrols a day for like six days and then come back. Like I got two guys that are like going to die if we like put body armor on and go out for a, another patrol like mm-hmm. this evening, but crazy. That's rough. So that was your first go. It was my, my first combat operation as a young seal officer was running as the, like the, the like the TL like yep. running in that patrol. Like, How old uh, were you? Uh, I was 23. Oof. Young. Yeah. 23. Yeah, I mean, I was a new guy too, right? So like I, like I was figuring shit out. Yeah, uh, that's a steep learning curve. But I mean, that was our uh, Petraeus. Uh, it was his counterinsurgency doctrine. Mm-hmm. It was get outside the armor, be amongst the people, mm-hmm. and I mean, the only way to support, you know, the the Marines that were taking the fight to the enemy was to to support them. Be with them. Yeah. And I think our our deployment in 06, we were able to kind of morph it and control what we did to be like the highest value to the units that are out there doing all the training with the conventional Iraqis right. by like employing sniper weapon systems. We, we carry a ton of firepower, like automatic weapons. Um, you know, we were, I mean, I got to, you know, send some one five fives from like the Paladin battery. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. What is that? We, t- we <laughs> talked about this too. What's Baker, a one five five? So like an artillery round, like a massive, I mean, it's, it sounds like a, uh, like a Volkswagen is coming overhead. Yeah. So these giant cannons that were back on Habania, 15 kilometers away. Okay. It's fucking, fire. it's kind of terrifying, right? Well, because the, the round, the trajectory at 15 kilometers hitting a target that's like 600, 700 meters away from you. Mm-hmm. It's coming overhead. You yeah, think, think about, about the tra- like the angle of, of fire. This thing. So we had that in Ramadi. Okay. Yeah. So absolutely. you had this hill. Can't remember what the fuck it was called. There's a cannon. There's a couple cannons sitting on top of yep. this thing. Here's me. Just tuck it, tuck it, tuck cruising out with my guys. Here's the bad guys. I'm trusting, and they're fantastic. They are it's still scary as shit. <laughs> but they're gonna lob this thing 
based on things that we're telling them. Yeah. The and guys that, that never point. do this, right? <laughs> like I had, I had like an in brief with like the, the uh, artillerymen that mm-hmm. were on Habania. They're like, okay, so you're going to do it. You're going to be bearing in distance. And like, you got, I mean, I got my call for fire. Yeah. I'm like, I've check, never, double check. check I've bill. never done this before. <laughs> I've never done this before. Not even in training with live rounds. Like, right. I, I like did a, che- uh, a check off with them, like on base, yeah. like virtually like just you this is me my location totally yeah Yeah, i got like a compass out but those things are super (laughs) accurate right like they can hit a dime right if you give them the right coordinates i mean yes they're accurate but it that it's the game of telephone that scared me i mean i was young doing this stuff even as a uh you know sniper dude sometimes if you didn't have an fo or or we didn't have fo's we had like e-tax back then way back then what's an fo uh, forward observer okay. and then e-tax like today's uh, jtac okay that's a guy that calls air and does right. all the things i'm being trusted with this i'm like oh and luckily we went to Gunsmoke down in um uh kentucky and okay. we train with the 160th and do aerial platform shooting and, like all the cool shit yep. and call in the daps and the 130s but this is real deal yeah so not only are you checking double checking your call for fire you're like if i fuck this up it's not on them but it is a game of telephone Yep. Like, I might be asking a dude, like, what's the azimuth? Double check the thing. Get, let's get a distance confirmation. And then I have to re- relay all that. And sometimes shit gets fucked up. And I'm not thing, saying. And that thing's coming overhead low. I mean, you yeah. hear it coming overhead. <laughs> and it's like. Yep. And then the spall that that thing's. I mean, and maybe the targets we were shooting at, like, you know, a click out, 1,000 yards out. Yep. But, I mean, taking down palm trees and palm groves, just like the, the spall coming off the round. I mean, it's It's epic. It was the most consistent, um, like, fire support you had, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you don't always have – you don't have F-18s or, or rotary wing overhead right. all the time. You always have that paddle, uh, Paladin battery, the artillery guys on Habania. Mm-hmm. So it was killer to know that you had that, especially, like, when you're – It's. I mean, we did a majority of our combat operations were daylight. Yeah, that's to a totally Petraeus different game than I was – Yeah, I played a different game back <clears> when I was in. Yeah. So you were calling in 155s. I got what to, happens when one of those things hits a house? I mean, <laughs> mostly pieces. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was big. Yeah. yeah, big boom. I mean, big it's boom. and it's on you too, right? Like for I mean, and this got even more critical in Afghanistan, but I mean, collateral damage, right? Uh, the rules of engagement got tighter as the the war years you know, mm-hmm. dragged on, and like by 2010, like my my next deployment was to Afghanistan. And the ROEs for like calling fire, like re- weapons release, were like you need to guarantee no collateral damage, no civilian casualties. And, and I say this loosely, but it's referred to a lot of times like, well, it used to be the Wild West. Wild West was out of out of necessity, you yeah. know, like we need this now because something bad's going yep. on. But then as more eyes, I mean, we were just talking about the guy that got charged for murder in a foreign country. Like, yeah. To me, in my time when it was kicking doors and doing things, I'm like, fucking, I'm sorry, what? Like that doesn't yeah. equate for me versus the accountability that came after the fact. Yeah. And I, I actually attribute some of that, and this could just be bro science, but I'm a professional at that. I have a doctorate. Um, <laughs> it, it could be just social media and people realizing yeah. that you can take a video and you know point the camera this way and tell one narrative while the narrative over here is much different. Yep. But it started getting kind of nasty within the military and the ROI or the ROE would completely change. Yeah. I mean, it was stressful mm-hmm. you know obviously it doesn't feel good when you're taking incoming rounds from from enemy but uh i mean this a necessity i mean i came from perspective of, of being a you know a element leader on the ground mm-hmm. and you know if things like you, you had to start really hammering that 
like kind of battlefield ethics mm-hmm. at that point home, right? Like he took it very seriously because, to your point, one bad situation, right? You're fucked. I mean, like then yeah. the enemy. I mean, in Afghanistan, Taliban would would spin it as mm-hmm. effectively as as our Fox or our CNN, people. yeah, one hundred percent. And then you lose. You know, you're fighting for like the support of the local villages and stuff, which was like a a total uphill battle. Like, we're not going to win. They know we're not going to be here forever. They're not going to want to take our side. And then if the Taliban spins something as, you know, these guys killed a bunch of civilians, like, you're done. You're, done. you're not yeah, going to get any support. And then, you know, that's it's safe harbor for enemy forces that are around your fire well, base. It, yeah, and by support, you I mean, you had to not play nice, but you had to aid the locals and provide yep. value to them in order for them to go like, okay, these guys are actually doing some good. Let's tell them a little bit so that they can help us totally. get rid of these bad dudes. So it was a relationship. It had to be a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. It's a human relationship, right? It, they're yeah. human beings. You mm-hmm. have to build trust and win, win over confidence right? or they don't help you. Yeah, It's, no, it's no different, right? Yeah, it's so not it's one a, it, sounds, it sounds like it's a never-ending mind fuck. Combat. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's not just one step forward, two steps back if something goes wrong. It's one step forward, I'll never talk to you again. You're never getting help. Yeah. And you can fuck off till eternity if you if they perceive that you fucked up another village or civilians or family or whatever that is. Yeah. So a and lot then, more complex than you thought it was. Right. It wasn't just like good guys and bad guys. Like yeah. they're over there, we're here. But th- that's then mm-hmm. that's one of the, the we were talking about like my curiosity. It's like I think ultimately one you as a civilian that never did any of this, you want to hear the stories. And then as you get older and more mature in the war stories, you've heard a zillion of them. It's like, okay, there's a lot of guys that come back with problems. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's a humanity component. And I think, and this kind of segues into another topic we can, we can uh, bring up. But, like, how can civilians, like, I don't like the word empathize. I, I really hate that word. But it's like, how can civilians understand what you guys are talking about. So like I, like most civilians, when they think of stress and combat and stuff, I think of bullets flying over your head mm-hmm. or your buddy getting shot or, you know, some other, you know, American getting killed mm-hmm. or whatever. But it sounds to me like there's just layer upon layer upon layer of anxiety that has nothing to do with someone shooting a bullet over your head. It's, no, it's like... It's it, been... It's, it's not necessarily doctrine, but it's been studied. I mean, even as a young guy, and I'm not a big reader by any means, I do listen to the shit out of some Audible. But on killing, on combat... Um, some of that references not necessarily it's not the bullets flying thing it's the what is your role right are you an outside the wire guy where you you can proactively protect yourself and but you're in a heightened state but you're doing that heightened state over and over and over again which contributes to adrenal fatigue and a million different things that affect you systemically Mm -hmm. and then conversely those within the wire feel like they can't proactively defend themselves necessarily and they're just sitting there like you know monkeys in a barrel getting shot at with like we talked about mortar rounds so either either one of those it's that highs and lows highs and lows constantly and that's why as we get into my favorite subject with it which is mental health you know things like still a ganglion blocks and things like that guys are coming back with a broken system and they're not able to regulate that epi nor epi and that doesn't even really have to do with the gunfights right it has to do with the state of readiness for a prolonged period of time well the gunfights were like this much yep. of your deployed time if you really say like the time that you were actually behind uh, your rifle sending rounds mm-hmm. at an enemy you taking rounds such a small percentage of the time on the ground most of the time is boredom yeah boredom but it's but it's peaked with like these intense moments yep. but in that period of boredom 
you're like living in this chronic state of stress, right? You're on like 100%. hyper readiness. Yellow light. You're, it's a yellow light. Yellow yep. Constant. For yep. three, six, 12 months, 18 yep. months, depending oh. on your deployment cycle. A- absolutely. And then there's a whole argument for, you know, early on we do hits like every night, every night, just trying to find people, right? Trying to do, do the mission. But then I think about it, you know, patrolling in Afghanistan during winter strike when a guy named Blessing was killed. He was actually our armorer driving a vehicle, which is a whole other story. But you are living in the environment where you're hunting humans, which means that there is no downtime. You're walking yeah. along, bebopping along with your gun, looking. You find yourself being like, oh, man, I'm being a little bit lackadaisical. And like, I have to remind myself, I am in Afghanistan. And mm-hmm. bad shit can happen or just happen or will happen. Yeah. But then you're sleeping, you're eating, you're shitting. Like everything is happening and you're in that environment 100% of the time. So you waited until the last minute to go holiday shopping? Don't worry. Black Rifle Coffee has just the thing to get you off the naughty list. Give the gift that keeps giving with the prepaid coffee subscription. This gift will impress any coffee lover and you won't have to worry about it arriving too late for the holidays either. The Coffee Club 3-month, 6-month, and 12-month subscription options give you the freedom to choose your own plan, and the longer the subscription, the more you save. A 12-month prepaid subscription saves you an equivalent of one free shipment each year. Head to blackriflecoffee.com slash gift subscriptions, and boom, your last-minute holiday shopping is done. But did you guys, like, in that environment, do you ever sleep well? Like, do you ever get, like, a good night's sleep? You, like, you, you acclimate to it. Yeah. I don't know if it's actually what I would define as restful sleep. Yeah. yeah. But you just start to, like, get used to it, right? I, I am maybe an anomaly, but I can sleep through some shit. I mean, I used to be able to. It wasn't until much later that I struggled with sleep and other things. And it's not nightmares. I'm not waking up about anything. I definitely dream about something and wake up angry. I never recall any of it. But in combat, you would get sleep it's not for the duration of time that it's that's healthy and a lot of that in conjunction with like we we talk about alcohol abuse and sleep patterns when you get back but when your sleep is interrupted Mm -hmm. you can't file the day's stress correctly and that's where post-traumatic stress comes from i don't say disorder because you can fuck off with that word um but in combat i imagine it's the same as drinking yourself to sleep and you're actually not you're, you're blacked out or you're passed out or whatever that is, but you're actually not storing those yep. memories the way that your brain's designed. So that's yeah. where post-traumatic stress comes from, with or without firefights, to be honest. Well, the, really? the, the common ground between the combat veteran and, let's say, the guy that never served, but you know he's stressed out every single day because he's working hard, he's trying to feed his family, and he has all these responsibilities on his plate, um, is chronic stress terrible sleep right Mm -hmm. disruptive sleep i mean they kind of two go hand in hand right high stress levels yield poor sleep um and and that stuff outside of kind of the concussive injury or like oh tbi yeah the tbi stuff i mean but but i would say stress and then the the fact that you're not getting well rested you're not getting good sleep that stuff contributes i mean it's a form of micro tbi yes anyway absolutely so like you could be dealing with some of the same issues on the mental health front that a guy that served in combat is mm-hmm. dealing with because this stuff adds up, right? It's like it's compounding. If you spend 20, 30 years of your life stressed out every single day, going to work, doing this stuff, um, and your sleep's terrible and you're drinking yourself to sleep every mm-hmm. single night, I mean, you're, you're going to deal with some mental health shit, right? Right. You're gonna- I, I had a super dark period of my life drinking way the fuck too much gigantic stressful situation i got fucking shingles at under 40 Mm -hmm. which is largely attributed 
to stress had nothing to do with combat. Yeah. None. Likewise. Really? Zero. Have you ever had any, any bad moments, like problems? I Yeah, I was in a very – so I transitioned out in 2013 Okay. Um, for a number of reasons. You know, namely, I uh, I had a younger brother killed in an inbounds avalanche in Colorado okay. skiing. Um, and my wife was pregnant with our daughter at the time. We had just told my brother's family uh, that we were going to have a daughter. Uh, so I exited at that point. Uh, and I, I bring that up because – you know, I got out and I immediately kind of disassociated from the fact that I was like probably dealing with some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just poured myself into a, a follow on career. Um, went into commercial real estate, worked myself to death, never saw my family. Um, and four years post transition, I, I probably hit rock bottom. Um, felt completely apathetic. Uh, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I yeah, felt yeah. super agitated, you know, yeah. you know, would snap. I was angry. You know, I got to the point where sitting across the table from people in normal conversation, I would just like, there was something I was like, I don't want to be around this person. Mm-hmm. Like excuse myself from meeting. So yeah, I, I, I was not in a good place. And, uh, did you have any of those like characteristics or behaviors while active? No, you know what? Um, so to- totally foreign behavior. Yeah. It, 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 and it manifested like it was a delayed onset, right? Okay. It was like four years later. Yeah. And the story is the same, right? When you talk to a bunch of vets, right? The guy's, Typically, it'll be okay yep, when they along. get out. Mm-hmm. And definitely during service, like, you are so engaged. You have this high-purpose job. Everybody supports you and your family, yep. right? Your wife, your kids, they know, hey, I'm I'm doing good work. You're the man. You're the man. I can do this, right? You get out. You lost that purpose. You lost the community you and the connection. Yep. Right? Because that's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. I ran away from it. I had to re- – I, I was like, hey, I need to reinvent myself. I need to prove to everyone – that I can be something that's successful outside of the SEAL I'm teams. just not a SEAL. I'm more than a SEAL. I, I'm more yeah. than a SEAL. Well, not just that, but I also think, because I found myself doing it right before, like, you know, multiple dark moments in my life, I dive so deeply and wholeheartedly into whatever I'm doing with an immense amount of loyalty, and a lot of times it mm-hmm. doesn't have loyalty for you, yeah. and you're trying to distract yourself. Totally. You're staying busy in order to try to find that fulfillment that you rarely, people rarely find. Because you just left your tribe, you left your mission, yeah. you left your purpose, and now you're just like, well, fuck, man, I'm going to be the best at this, but what is this? Selling yeah. houses? Did it make you feel awesome? Yeah, right. Yeah. You know? I mean, I mean I'm not no, down it's, I mean, you're, you're, you, No, you're right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're hunting for a replacement. Yep. So you don't have to deal with the stuff that you've been compartmentalizing, locking yep. away for 100%. years. And I, I'll say, like, the thing that the common trait amongst a lot of the guys that I've connected with that served in combat mm-hmm. is – this innate ability to compartmentalize emotion. And it typically starts because of shit that the adversity that they dealt with in childhood. And that can be the full range of things. It yep. could be a ab- physical abuse, mental abuse, uh, you know, unfortunate, like, like upbringing and like a uh, impoverished sexual abuse, the, the whole gamut, Every whatever. Yeah. But the, for some reason, the guys that end up going into like soft or, or any combat arms mm-hmm. profession, they got good at locking that shit away and saying, hey, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to be successful at whatever I'm going to do. I'm not going to let this stuff bring me down. And then they go into this career path where it pays to not have emotion clouding your judgment in a high-stress scenario. 100%. I think there's some doctrine coming out or it's been talked about. I probably pulled it from another podcast because I listen to all kinds yep. of shit. That um, most folks that in our communities that suffer from post-traumatic stress had – 
basically an inkling to, to develop that prior to. Yeah. Just, just like you're saying. But they're like studying. And it's not a th- like I had a great childhood. I, couldn't I, did, put I my, did as well. I couldn't put my finger on any one thing. But I know that I can bury some shit deep and never think about it again. Well, it was, I think it, you can be a high performer mm-hmm. that had a beautiful childhood, but you demand perfection of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that, that like kind of need to be perfect and better than everybody else kind of forces you to compartmentalize all the emotion. Yeah, that makes sense. Else. Yeah. And I think it's that. It's like guys exit then, mm-hmm. right? In this this superhuman trait that makes it's their superpower, mm-hmm. like to be able to compartmentalize in a stressful situation, it then becomes your worst enemy. Yeah. So now you continue to try to throw shit in the box, right? And the box is just like overflowing, right? Like you can't keep the lid closed. Yeah. And then, like life changes, you have to confront your your wife and your kids and your friends and this new job and coworkers that have no common experience. Right? Yeah, you were a wolf amongst wolves, and now I hate to use this analogy, but you're out in the civilian world and you're surrounded by sheep. Yeah. And I could see how that could be a challenge. Like you are, you you are amongst guys who yeah. are some of the most vetted people in the world, overachievers, overperformers, goal-oriented dudes, failure is not an option, and then you get into the civilian world and you're not around those type yeah. of people. And I can understand there's a degree of animosity, like, look at that piece of shit. Yeah. Like, I fucking hate this guy, I hate that guy. I, 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 I understand that, that makes sense. Well, you don't have anybody, like I was saying, I ran from it, I ran from the community. Mm-hmm. The guys that I loved and I served with in combat, I wanted to try proving that I could be something more than that. Mm-hmm. And I've come full circle now. I, the, the, the magic uh, solution is actually getting back in touch with those guys. Yeah. I think having the ability to like connect, be vulnerable, off gas, and vent some of this stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really what we're trying to help guys do now. Absolutely. I mean, I needed it. Yeah. Like I, I started to connect with guys when I was struggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, like I, one of the guys I was like throwing a name out earlier to see like if you knew mm-hmm. him. Um, the two of us ran into each other at a, a TMS clinic. Uh, okay. uh, we, we mentioned it out there, like yep. transcranial magnetic stimulation was kind of like step one for me trying to figure out problem right. solve. I run, in, run into a guy that I had served with in the SEAL teams randomly in the lobby of this thing that's designed to help you with mental health type stuff. Mm-hmm. And because I trusted him, he was like a friendly, right? It was like, okay. I felt okay opening up and saying like, hey man, this is what I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, he reciprocated because I was vulnerable, and I, his shit was the same as mine, right? It is, it is so fucking important just to open up your mouth and be candid about shit. Sure. I, I've told the story more than once, but I was in the parking lot the first trip that I came here when Evan said, come out and check it out. I'd had that offer multiple times, and for whatever reason, it clicked this time. I'm like, you know what? I should probably try to figure out something other than slinging guns and being overseas. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to some of our guys, and I was just, again, verbalizing like, yep, yeah, I'm fucked up, and this is why. That has been super beneficial moving forward. Mm-hmm. And and it's not a perspective when you're talking to civilians of like, look at this fucking guy. I have to remind myself to be compassionate towards those things because I know I can be callous. I know I can be like, really? You're upset because of Twitter or fucking, I don't know, some <laughs> bullshit? But that's that's their issue. But in this community that's you know created here in, in Black Rifle and in, in ProTech or wherever else, it's really important to be verbal. So I was at my unit and one of the younger dudes he mentioned like one thing that caught my attention and he's not younger. He's been doing it. I don't know, 10, 12 years. Like he's yeah. done a lot of the things he mentioned number two. And I was like, we need to sit down. We need to talk. Lack of sleep, headaches, yep. visual disturbance, vestibular shit, like balance issues. I was like, Hey dude, here's why I'm fucked up. And here's why my, you know, this is what I look like on paper. 
you should get some help now. Yeah. And he was like, dude, I didn't realize any of that. Like, can we talk more? I'm like, fuck yeah, I don't give a shit. That's why I love this platform is to talk about this shit and talk to dudes like you. Like, I'm gifted to be able to have It's that. a blessing, man. I yeah. mean, and when it comes from somebody that they respect, mm-hmm. that has been kind of the, hey, this is the older guy. He's the he's the one that has all the experience. I, I, like, I want to be like that person. Mm-hmm. When that person is vulnerable and kind of opens them, them up, yeah, like the floodgates open, and then it becomes normal, right? Like that person, that younger guy is like, "This is okay." Absolutely, like he approves of me actually sharing some of the stuff that I'm struggling about. Yep, yep. I'm always super vocal with everybody. Like yeah, what's going on? And because I don't give a fuck. I mean, what are you gonna do? Shave my head and send me back in the military? Uh, I don't care. Wait, are you gonna judge me over that? I mean, if, <laughs> yeah. I, if I'm judged because I'm sharing yeah. with my friends or other people that I'm I'm struggling, I mean, mm-hmm. we're all human beings, man. We struggle, like. We're not robots. Like that's that's a normal thing, and it's a stigma, right? It's been associated with mental health for years, yeah, right? Fuck that thing. Say something because I've sat there in my you know my darkness, my dark times, and I've said nothing to anybody. You yeah. don't want to show weakness. It's because you're you're built that way. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And you were you it was fostered. Like you're a little fucked up, you're a little tired, you're this or that. Just suck it up. Dude. Take a knee, yep. have some water. Yeah, yeah. Take a knee, face out. Take some like that whole mentality. Yeah. And I'm like fuck it, dude. I can still do my job. Yep. For sure. But I definitely need to vocalize that I need some help. Do you guys so, remember who the first like soft unity dude that came out and was saying I need help and I'm fucked up? Fuck, that's an excellent Rudy Reyes. question. Really? Yeah. Okay, I, I know Rudy. So Rudy, yeah. Rudy's a recon guy. My brother's a force recon marine, yep. and um, that's how I learned about who Rudy was, Rudy Rudy. And um, I remember he made a, a, a post, dude. This was probably 10, 12 years ago. Okay. And I remember, because this is, I would say this is probably pre-2010-ish, 2008, in and around that, that time frame. And I remember he made this really long, well-written post about him being all kinds of fucked up. And I remember reading the comments. Mm-hmm. It's like, you fucking pussy. Just mm-hmm. getting oh, really? dr- oh, dude, this is long before the term mental health had been yeah. thrown around. And I don't even, honestly... I could be wrong. Someone can fact check this. I don't even know that like PTSD or PTS was a thing that people talked about. This is like probably first 30% of the GWAT before the IEDs and stuff, you know, all that crazy shit. It was and around, but you didn't talk about it because you're afraid they'd take your guns and fire. Yeah, you, yeah, you couldn't go, you couldn't yeah. deploy anymore. Yeah, you're, so yeah, you didn't yeah. even talk about it. And yeah. it was, and yeah, I think PTS was kind of the first thing that came out, but mm-hmm. then they, we started realizing that like TBI yeah. is what where it, 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 it really that's like the, real the root yeah but issue. he was the guy that that this was right after what was what was it, the tv show uh not band of brothers but operation generation kill yep oh yeah he yeah. was on that show and yep. it was right after that show so this is you know 2000 probably 7 to 2010 and i remember reading the comments you fucking cowards you mm. pussy i mean just there, so literally <laughs> i think there was like just thousands of comments and like people rake that guy over the coals bro it's and, it, and it's so you know it makes me sad to hear that stuff. I mean, it, it, it was reality. Yeah. But <laughs> reality is we served our country with these guys because we really, we mm-hmm. loved each other. We in, in, in the moment, you didn't say like, hey man, I love you. Mm-hmm. Like, never said it. But that's reality. And then when guys are struggling, at least in those mm-hmm. kind of early days, yeah. It's like we you you throw them, throw them out. But, but like, it, like they're, they're cast aside. But if even if you look at other issues in, in society like let's say for example uh, same-sex marriage someone that has never been exposed to that 
their initial reaction is going to be rejection to hearing like two women or two men getting married. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the thing with like Rudy, it's like once people have more exposure to it and it becomes more mainstream, yep. that's when it gets accepted. Mm-hmm. And it takes that one person. Yeah, it's honorable. Just, just take that first step, come out and say, hey, man, I'm kind of fucked up. And all those guys that were talking shit probably were dealing with some of the same bullshit. Uh, 100%. And I think right. about all the guys that didn't see that or didn't comment on it. They were like, motherfucker, man, like. Shit, I'm feeling the same shit, man. And, and I'm not going to say anything yeah. because of the way that I saw these guys Yeah, I don't want to get vilified. Yeah, yeah. totally. Even, well, so I did some, you know, contracting and whatnot. Mm. Still in the guard, so I see both sides, you know. And as the, the medic, dudes are coming to me on a regular basis, and the symptoms are all the fucking same. Can't sleep, drink, you know, like mm-hmm. just the list. So I get to hear it more than most. They might not tell their buddy, you know, who they were in the Army mm-hmm. together, but the medic gets to know a lot of totally. shit. So I'm, all of a sudden I'm going, oh, yeah, I know that I'm fucked up. I should start saying something. I was always you know, sympathetic, empathetic. We'd talk about yep. it. I'd give solutions that I had. I'd make suggestions about, like, hey, you probably shouldn't do A, B, or C because it's just going to make it worse, so on and so forth. But I would say around, around 2012 to 14, every fucking dude had the same problem going on. Yeah. All of them. Dudes are like, yeah, man, I don't know why. Like, I'll struggle for a word or I'll, stu- like, I'll mm-hmm. stutter. Like, I can't get out of thought. And I started, I, w- I guess I was lucky to be able to establish a pattern of these things before it was mainstream and you yeah. could talk about it or the operator syndrome paper yep. came out and shit like that. So it's, it's, so let's talk about this. Like we've identified it. It's mainstream. All right. You know, guys struggle with all kinds of this and that. And now it seems like it's one a time where it's okay to, you know, say I've got problems. So how do you fix this stuff? I know that's something you're working a lot on and like, what are some of the things, treatments and I know that like the boot campaign, we do a lot with those guys and they're taking a 360 degree holistic approach, sleep, diet, nutrition, getting guys off alcohol pills, getting them clean and sober, teaching them all that stuff. You know, what are some of the things that like you're working on? You're on the board of an organization with JT, one of our co-founders. Yep. So, I mean, I, so I, I sit on the board uh, with JT for Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions, a nonprofit started by Marcus Capone, a former, uh, Six foot guy? five gold squad guy. Right. He was on the TV show. Uh, blue, I think he was blue. Was he blue? Yeah, I believe so. Anyway, six five. Me, don't give me <laughs> Let me tell you something interesting about Marcus Capone. <laughs> Marcus Capone. Marcus Capone was a quarterback at Northern Illinois and actually played arena league football. Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois when they were good. Yeah. And he played arena league football for a few years back when the when you when the arena league was legit. Okay, I didn't know that about. Oh him. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. He was on the show with like Bert and Ray Cashcare and uh, what was that yeah. show? Uh, selection. In the selection. Yeah yeah. 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 So Marcus and I. Uh, my last short duty job before I exited was running SEAL qualification training. And then Marcus was the assaults lead. You know, he had left Damnak and was dealing with his own issues, which again, we were kind of like at the beginning, we were like, we we're like, uh, I really don't want to talk a lot about it. But right. so he was trying to figure that stuff out. We connected there. And then, I mean, man, I think the first time I even heard an inkling about what Marcus was starting to dive into was that like a, a foundation fundraising event in passing. I hadn't seen Marcus in several years. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, man, we're doing some uh, doing some interesting stuff with microdosing psychedelics. And I'm like, that's super weird. Yeah. Uh, didn't talk about it at all. How dare you? Yeah. I know, but it's foreign, too. Oh, I'm it's like, totally foreign. Like, wait a second. Uh, I'm a no, Naval Academy to. graduate. Yeah. How dare you speak these words? I don't do any but... of that. I mean, I, hey, I, didn't, I didn't even... I didn't smoke cigarettes. I didn't dip. Right. I never did an illicit drug. I was like, you know, part of the D.A.R.E. program. Right, right. Uh, boy. Um, <laughs> but Marcus and I crossed paths briefly on that. And then it was years later that I actually I crossed paths with several guys that I respected deeply from our community 
that were vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. Willing to be vulnerable with me in a casual conversation about them going um, to Mexico and taking two psychedelics, Ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT during the course of a retreat. And they had this prolific kind of like catalytic healing experience that kind of launched them into a good place. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, this sounds insane. You know, you start vetting it amongst friends. I reconnect with Marcus. I think we had a coffee like at like, you know, in Del Mar or something like that. Mm. Like he comes back to San Diego, we connect and all that. And then uh, I had a very and long-winded answer, but I had a very close friend of mine, one of my closest friends from the SEAL teams that uh, we reconnected with. You know, so I'm starting to do some of the things right. Yeah. right? I'm like starting to build some connection, kind of talking to guys I served with. And he opened up to me. He had gone down, went through this program. He came back a changed person. I mean, I could see it in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Sitting across from him the night he came home from this retreat, I mean, his eyes were bright. His personality was different. Uh, unlike anything, I mean, he was just like this cold, callous, violent person. Angry as fuck. Yep. Angry. And like, he's smiling. He's like, has his daughter with him there. Like, and I'm like, dude, whatever you did, Sign me up, man. I have nothing to lose. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps talking Same. about it you, right now. Brother. You're making me think of my story. So I was looking at your quad. You're getting goosebumps too. I know. <laughs> I know. He's, he's always I looking. Was, at I it. thought it was me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he's always looking at my legs. I was in my backyard, living in Colorado. Dark spot. Been there. Couldn't figure out how to get out. I did. Um, I, I basically had to pay cash for everything and convince people to do these treatments because yep. it wasn't super popular. So like stellate ganglion block and mm-hmm. float tanks. Um, gyrospin machine, EMDR, yep. you know, I was paying for a counselor just to make sure it didn't get back to TRICARE and everything else. Yeah. So I could talk to somebody. I learned about Military One Source, which is a great resource. Um, yep. That one has never bit me, and I'm still in the guard. But I met a guy. I got. In, I wanted to go to college, or I thought I wanted to go to college. And we had gone out to Stanford to learn how to be students again. It's a program they do for yellow ribbon shit and whatever else. And a buddy of mine, he was an SF guy, he got shot up pretty bad. And we bonded immediately because we were the older guys, like done a bunch of combat things. And then there's younger folks, smarter than us, obviously getting out younger and figuring out school. And he called me up. And on that particular day, my kids were always kind of like my anchor. You know, I was always dad, hang out, do all the things. And I was feeling a certain way. I'm like, you know what, dude, why don't you guys go inside and like watch a show? I had this really dark moment. My buddy calls me up. and He's like, dude, how are you? It's the fucking weirdest thing. I just thought of you. He goes, yeah, I got one question for you. When was the last time you loved yourself? And I laughed in his face. <laughs> he had just got back from his first ayahuasca really? ceremony. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so there's a thing that I can know. help. Now, granted, I'm in the military, so I don't get to partake. Absolutely, yeah. But let me tell everybody that I know of that's in the same boat, you know, what that resource can yeah. be. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get, I mean, this is a, a much longer conversation, you know, for another time. I mean, like, the experience itself and I say there's all kinds of different psychedelics out there. It's mainstream. It's being researched. Mm-hmm. I mean, Vets is a huge proponent of, of research, like promoting research with like Stanford and Ohio yeah. State um, and political advocacy. But the common thread is love and self-love is something that, I mean, I would challenge pretty much anybody out yeah. there in society. Ask them that it's, same question. When's the last time you really loved yourself? Oh, and you like you laugh. Up. Oh, you're like. You like laugh. You're That's like, oh yeah, hey, out- don't don't talk about that. <laughs> it's the most outrageous thing in the world. Like, and then you think about it, you're like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, you know what? I treat everybody better than me. I right. laughed and I said, I hate me. You know that. He yeah, goes, dude, that's what I thought too. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. So, 
these guys come back from Mexico. Yeah. You're sitting with your buddy. His daughter's there. His eyes are lit up. Whatever you're done, Dude. sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. So he signed me up. I mean, I ended up going through the process. Uh, I can tell you that for me, uh, again, much longer story, but there's a lead up, right? Dark days. I had a near death experience in 2018. First introduction and kind of experience with psychedelics um, was 5-MeO DMT, uh, which for me fully integrated my near death experience. It showed me that I had so much to live for and that. That's awesome. I mean, dude, I'm, I'm like, I, I, get, so, I get emotional even no, no, thinking it's good. about it, No, that's no, good. So where were you when you did the DMT? Uh, out of the country. Okay. Um, I mean, that's a huge thing that, like, yeah. Vets talks about, right? These things are still on schedule in the U.S. We have to go outside of our country, which right. is egregious, sad. Super right? Super sad. Um, to go get help. Um, but it's you go out of country to Mexico or Costa Rica or someplace where it's not yeah. on schedule. It's illegal. And... Uh, I have this, you have this prolific experience and, you know, I, and I kind of did it in a weird order. Typically they're sequenced and guys will go down and do Ibogaine mm-hmm. day one, much longer experience day off five MEO, much shorter experience, equally as intense. Um, and then go home maybe a day or two later, you know, fully risk mitigated therapeutic support, tons of prep work on the front end, a uh, huge focus on the integration, like the mm-hmm. long term kind of path you need to take things you need to do foundationally to galvanize that healing and change. Right. Um, but you go through this entire process. I, I had a 5-MEO experience. So I want to talk about that real quick. Okay. So you did go the ahead. handshake? Yeah. So, yeah, you typically sequence with, like, a little mini microdose handshake. Yeah. So when I did it, dude, I was scared shitless. Everybody is. <laughs> now, but let me let me say this. Let me say this, dude. So uh, I've said 10,000 times I was never in the military. I have done an insane amount of psychedelics. Like, with regards to mushrooms, I would challenge you to find someone that has grown, picked, dehydrated, eaten more than I have. Because, I mean, I'm from, uh, my family has farms. Like, I, I mean, I have memories of having, at Rockingham Farms, a hay barn that's 75 yards long and the entire second floor is dehydrated mushrooms. But what's interesting, and the reason I bring that up is because I think the first time I ate mushrooms, I was 15. But I had, I was a sophomore, but we had juniors and seniors and people that kind of guided us through the process. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't ever do it. You don't do it three days in a row. You don't do it two days in a row. You know, like, this was before microdosing was a thing. We're talking back in the early 90s, you know. Okay. I mean? um, and so I've had a ton of experience with that, like ecstasy, you know, recreationally, all that stuff. I've done a lot of that stuff. Um, but the handshake thing, like, I was, I was terrified because I didn't know what was going to happen because I was like, well, I mean, I don't have, like, PTS or, like, you know, Hmm. or maybe there is some trauma I don't know about and maybe there's things locked away like what the fuck's coming out of the box <laughs> and well, so fear of the unknown yeah. is, is oh god is cause like you know dude like out private school my whole life I've lived a very very charmed childhood you know like I didn't have any of these like little demon things and I was scared shitless <laughs> <laughs> little demon things <laughs> I didn't dude like I'm serious I was absolutely terrified and um and so people listening, and I'm kind of sharing my experience. Absolutely. So I was scared shitless. I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, am I going to shit my pants? Am I going to shove my fist up my ass? Like, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> Why is everything with your ass the fear? Because we're dudes, man. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I just, I was terrified. And so for me, it was a, a handshake, what they call. So you take like a three-second pull, three-second hold. And it just kind of like walks you into, you, you open the door and you step into yeah. the room. And I just remember, like, the amount of heat radiating out of, radiating out of my palms. And I was just sitting there, 
And I was just like, woo-hoo. I could do this recreationally That in that moment, <laughs> that, the, the first little piece. And it was like, okay, I'm good. Yeah, I want to do this. I want to do the, the hero dose. So that ended the, I did the big, you know, what is it, uh, seven-second pull, seven-second hold, and then laid back on this elk, elk, elk hide. And just I remember breathing, um, and, like, it was absolutely remarkable. Um, and I was in real estate, and I lost everything that I had between 2008 and 2010, about $15 million. Went through a divorce. Where I'm from, Savannah, Georgia, I was the king of the mountain. Mm-hmm. I was the dude. And then I went from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the mountain really quickly. And I had locked all that away. I, had, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't cause that. That was the economy at the time, the mortgage industry, all that stuff. Sure. But I had some investors that I didn't realize that I was still holding animosity towards. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say their names, but if I had ever crossed paths with them, game on. Mm-hmm. And that's, the, that's why I left my hometown just to get away from mm. all these people. And like, I literally went through a Rolodex and forgave every single one of them. Mm. And I'm getting chills right now talking about this. <laughs> and I remember like, and I didn't realize that I'd had that pent up. Yeah. And like, I, you know, a bunch of other stuff in my life that like I'd come to peace and forgiven some other people, failed relationships, things like that, acknowledged my role in those failed relationships, realized how much I loved my mother and all this stuff, huh. you know, and like, just it was it was remarkable and i remember it was like a kaleidoscope you know when you're a kid in the kaleidoscope you can collapse it and it's little tiny things or you can open it up and i remember the whole time the kaleidoscope was open and there was a little slit and it's like anytime baker that you want to leave you just jump right through that little crack and you're going to be good to go and i was like you know what i got more to deal with than this so i, I didn't like you know i came through I came up and i looked at Logan, I looked at JT, and I was like, I'm ready to start my life over. And, like, I started crying. It was awesome. Yeah. And then, um, but like, it, and then I called Melissa. I get a little emotional, but I called Melissa. The get next, emotional. I called her that. Yeah. I called her the ne- that next morning, you know, and yeah. I was just like, hey, I need you to do this as well. Like, I, th- I want you to try this at some point. Because she and I talked about it, um, and it was like, I don't know, it was, just, it was amazing. And so I guess the mm. point in sharing that story is, like, I was terrified because I get performance anxiety and like, I don't ever want to be viewed as anything other than like, you know, who I am. Yeah. Um, and anyone listening, like the handshake, like you don't have to just go jump, jump into the deep end. You have this handshake and it just kind of eases you in. And then the door opens and you step in, you're like, all right, let's go into some other rooms. It was remarkable. Well, brother, to continue on that thread, because I think it's a really important comment. Um, Consider that handshake all the work, all the foundational work mm-hmm. that if you truly want to get something out of this stuff, the, the psychedelic is a catalytic micro experience yeah. in a lo- like a lifelong journey that's going to take you to a point of wholeness. And the more work you put in on the front end and the more work you put in on the back end, the more profound the change and the healing and the impact yeah. is going to be in that moment. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as a psychedelic experience. It's a journey, but it's not like I wouldn't describe DMT as a psychedelic trip for me. Well, 5-MeO DMT, uh-huh. which is what we're talking about. Yeah, I, the, the, the strong is, one. Is very, yeah. very uh, – I, mean, I, can, I can share with sincerity, I drowned in 2018 – um, what I experienced drowning 
I re-experienced in that first first time sitting with 5-MeO-DMT. Oh, wow. And, uh, and it was very beautiful. And it, I mean, it was terrifying right. in the beginning, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like confronting the fact of like all this self-hate and and all the suppressed grief. And, and it, it was just like taking everything and evaporating it and bringing me to a singularity, which was love. And it was manifested in the love that I have for my kids. When I drowned, I felt like I was with both of my children. I longed. All I wanted in that moment of, of death or near death was to have both my son and my daughter in my arms and hugging them. Didn't care about a single other thing in the moment. And when I took the first big rip uh-huh. off of the, the pipe, never thought I would say those words. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> I laid back and I was kneeling next to my little boy. Uh-huh. And just watching him play with his trucks and feeling the love that I have for that yeah. little guy. And, like, I realized, I'm like, it's all about that. I mean, like, you want to talk about, like, inner divinity? Mm-hmm. People throw that word out there. Yeah, and like, yeah. People are like oh, whatever, you know. Truly knowing God, and I don't care what faith you profess to, is loving yourself. Right. And feeling that love for others, you know, completely um, without strings attached and and wanting nothing in return and it like and like it gifted me that yeah yeah and it's all and like when you say it's us like psychedelics people talk about like oh i saw all this shit yeah, and no. like it's a feeling it's a visceral yeah. feeling that you take and hold with you for the rest of your life and it's yeah, interesting because it, you, I, you don't see anything um that's not there necessarily that, that sure, you haven't seen with your own eyes yeah yeah yep. you're not hallucinating and um uh how was it I lost my thought. It's um, it's a, it's it's a lifetime of therapy. Inside of, I think I was under sixteen minutes, yep. or nine minutes, or something like that. Well, let me think about what you said. You forgave a rolodex of humans, in a matter yeah. of a moment. Inst- you in, found self love yeah. in a matter of a moment. Yeah. You you reminded yourself yeah. of how much you love your kids, and it's all about them, and it's yeah. all about giving love like that. How many sessions do you sit in talking to somebody? It could be a lifetime. Yeah. I've done it you for can never years. Do it. Yeah, yeah. So I, t- totally I, I, I took Rillin from the time I was in second grade through college. Okay, now that explains I, a lot. No, no, and I, 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 <laughs> you, I'm you, hold on. I needed, I needed it. I needed it. Um, and so, like, it was to, to get Rillin, you had to go see a psychiatrist or something like that. So I'd yeah. go and sit in with these people and sit there for an hour and just, I don't know, nothing would become of it. Sure. But like, it's interesting. Like, um, it's a lifetime of like therapy sessions in a very brief period of time. But what I walked away is that like self-therapy, you know what happened. Mm. And like, I don't think that you could, you or you or anyone that's dealt with this stuff, you guys have, could sit down with a therapy and a therapist and truly get them to understand exactly, they can look at it from a scientific standpoint, but they don't know exactly what was happening in the moment. You were there, you can do this. You, it's, you are your best therapist. Yeah. And so what it does, it gives you, the, it empowers you to relive stuff, deal with stuff, acknowledge stuff. Like, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It, it is. And you don't fa- have to be a fucking SEAL or a PJ or a Ranger or whatever to, for this not. to have an impact on your life. Like, I'm just a regular dude. And it was remarkable for People me. People in this, in this country, I mean, are committing suicide mm-hmm. daily. Yeah. And it's not just veterans. I mean, it's kids. There's, there's kids. Yeah. I mean, the problem with childhood suicide is it's terrible. No one wants to talk about it, right? Because yeah. it's because it, it's a, a, the more most morose, morbid right. subject you can you can bring yeah. up. Some but. kid hanging themselves from from, from yeah. bullying at the age of twelve because of social media. And losing a child. I, so yeah. I have a 
uh, sidebar or yeah. <laughs> little tangent. Yeah, sure. Uh, I was introduced to a gentleman um, who's committed to helping kids kind of confront mental health issues mm-hmm. because his son was, I think, 14 years old, killed himself while him and his wife were in Mexico in Cabo on vacation and got a text message from him and then he was gone. Yeah. I mean, like, to lose a child, man, I, I've never been in the depths of darkness that that would bring me to. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that shit is rampant yeah. in this country. It's not just for veterans, right? No, it's it's yeah. a perfect storm of, call it what you will, social media, fucking COVID or whatever. I was talking to somebody the other night, like, yeah, my son, you know, COVID really affected him. I don't metabolize it. Was, it. Yeah, I, don't metab- night, yeah. I don't metabolize it that way, but it is a real thing. And I need mm-hmm. to be you know, sympathetic to it. But the way I look at it is, you know, with the, the psychedelics being looked at, I was thinking back to about 2013, which was the first time I was introduced to uh, EMDR, mm-hmm. right? So trying to store and fix some, some thoughts. You don't actually have to talk during the therapy. The therapist talks to you while you're processing things, you're moving your eyes back and forth, and it's a way to physically manifest the storing of memories. This is the bro science explanation. <laughs> but it sounds to me, and having not being able to partake, which is also a tragedy. The fact that, l- let me stop. Could you drive a car later that afternoon? Absolutely. Would you have shot a gun? Yeah, absolutely. You're how, so. You're, how about you? Yeah. Same. That the after I did DMT. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, great. So you're telling me that there's a therapy that we could treat people that are in, but it's so hush hush. It's so don't touch it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yet we will promote and discount ethanol and alcohol and sell it, and yeah. it's a culture that's totally fine. Like, hey, just got back from a deployment, killed a bunch of dudes, and we're all fucked up in the head. Let's get hammered. <laughs> Let's get super fucking drunk so that we can make it all a whole bunch worse. Yeah. So that bothers me. You know what's <laughs> interesting about that is like one of the things with DMT and, and psychedelics is that you're not judged. And I think one of the things is like, you know, guys with your background, you, you want to sh- tell your stories and be vulnerable and stuff, but you don't want to be judged. Mm-hmm. No one wants to be fucking judged. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it, you guys, you were just saying guys get back from deployment, they go out and they all get shit-faced. Or drink what, what, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. What, ha- what happens when you drink? You talk more. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the way of therapy. It, it's, it's a, it's a, they get drunk and they sit around and they talk about it. They talk about the war, they're shooting people, missions, and all that stuff. And maybe that can be some degree of coping mechanism. I don't talk but, about the alcohol, but the alcohol is, <laughs> is, is, is bad. But the talking is good. I, I, you know what? Sure. Maybe in a team room someplace. But yeah. when you're an adult yeah. and you go home to your spouse and you don't want to talk to your spouse about whatever the fuck happened. No, I'm talking about when you go out with, like, with your boys drinking. And tell I was just with my boys. I was just, don't tell war stories. He was there. Don't need to tell him shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, when <laughs> I go back and I integrate back into normal life and okay. I'm drinking and I'm fucking off, I can't, I don't talk to anybody about anything. Okay. So valid point. Yes, I understand. Yep. But it's not the way it looks when you watch Navy SEALs and they all go out and then they all come back and they all hang out together. You're like, fuck, dude, I was just with that guy for a couple months. Well, look, that culture's like, it's, that's, it's fostered, right? That mm-hmm. is approved. Like, you need to be, to be part of the boys. You got to be going out and drinking. I and thought hit, you yeah. guys all went down to the beach and made little fires and shit. Well, and we, we, I mean, that's just in the like SEAL in the teams. In the SEAL teams, we do that, but I mean, I, I can't speak for the other branches <laughs> of service. Um, but yeah, I mean, here's the issue with alcohol. And I'm not demonizing alcohol, right? Um, I, I can tell you that, uh, we have an issue, right? Agreed. Guys leave the service, and I've talked, I, I've, I've watched guys kind of go through this process, mm-hmm. and alcohol is like the number one uh, culprit. Yep. I mean, it's a number one numbing ne- mechanism, and it, and it throws you into a tailspin. I mean, we talk about like TBI and kind of brain health and all this stuff there. 
I mean, alcohol's not doing you any favors. No. You're literally rinsing thymine off your brain, which is like fucking oh, and, uh, Andrew Humerman um, has a wonderful podcast. He did one specifically on alcohol, and it was amazing yeah. because he told people the shit that they didn't want to hear, right? Mm-hmm. Like, alcohol technically doesn't do you any good yeah. at all. I mean, yeah. it, There's us, no upside to it from, no, from, a, from no a physiological upside. standpoint. And I'm not, and again, not demonizing it, right? No. You can... It, it, you can if you can handle it and you're having a couple of drinks a week and you do it socially and all that stuff, great. Oh, a lot of us use it as an absolute crutch and disassociative measure mm-hmm. to not confront emotion, deal with real problems, deal with real stuff that they need to address. Agreed. And to, to go back, because I get squirrel brain when we talk about this, thing, but I, <laughs> I was, I was you know, drawing a parallel between the EMDR and what it was designed to do. We have a fast forward button. It sounds like, you know, with with psychedelic therapy as it pertains to this. So, like, why not figure that out? And it is being figured out. And there's white papers and studies. And you guys are on the board, which is fantastic. And I spoke to JT about it in the past. But just moving forward, again, talk about it, right? See what's going on. But the problem I have is, and the part I will demonize, is the the VA treating somebody, right? Mm -hmm. They come back. And we all know the story. But it, it starts with potentially alcohol. Let's say they're drinking. Sure. But then they also have injuries or migraines or whatever. And the first thing they like to throw at them, because it's a real, it's no big deal. It's a synthetic opiate, just a little tramadol, yeah. which turns into oxy, which turns into <laughs> fucking suicide. like Or heroin. Yeah. Who, who the fuck knows? Sure. But those drugs they're getting from the VA because that's the, here's your symptom, here's your pills. Yep. Not any sort of holistic oh, approach. Yeah. You just, you made that guy's situation so much, so much worse. They're treating a symptom, not the cause of the. Absolutely. Correct. And that's the, and that's Ups, the reality. It's, it's uh, like, my wrist hurts. Well, your shoulder's probably tight. Yeah, yeah. Take a take a totally. pain, muscle relaxer. No, no. Yeah. My, let's fix my shoulder. Yeah. Well, but so we we address physical yeah. injuries. Not to say that this isn't physical, mm-hmm. but we address an, a shoulder injury differently than we address mental health. Right. Agreed. This is cutting down to the core, and it's like it's like okay, let's figure out what is causing this stuff. And let's not just put a bandaid on it. Yeah. Let's actually fix the root cause. I, I want to do this. So we we got your history fantastic your involvement with mental health like i couldn't appreciate it more and the fact that you're coming on and talking about it where did protect come in in all this journey that so, you've done so i will here's my take on this stuff mm-hmm. it's multimodal right there's no one-stop shop so whether it's emdr mm-hmm. traditional therapy hyperbaric oxygen psychedelics every person's different and they may need a whole bunch of these things they may need one of these things mm-hmm. The common thread is that you need to take care of yourself, right? Like, so Protect, our company was born out of providing people tools to help galvanize foundational practices that are gonna lead to the things that they need happening every single day Mm -hmm. to start feeling better. You know, alongside these kind of profound experiences or these really impactful modalities. So we focus on hydration and sleep and then I'd like to say we focus on building connection or, or encouraging connection by getting people outside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was probably perpetually dehydrated. And, we, all, we all are. Court low. And, and we talked about low. it with wrestling, right? Yep. Like wrestling and, and, and MMA fighters. Like, you know, dehydration is a real thing. Most of us will just be like, oh, I'll just, you know, yeah. drink my coffee and I'm good in the morning. Or, yeah. or I'll, I'll <laughs> drink a glass of water before I go to bed at night. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. good. Not doing yourself I, any I drink 16 ounces before I go to bed every night. It's like, no, yeah. don't do that. And it's probably worse because then you're going to get up in the middle of the night and have to take a piss. And then if you have, if you have issues you're dealing with, you're going to remember the, the last thing that pissed you off. And you would get up at three to take a leak. And you remember what pissed you off. <laughs> and then you can't sleep. go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we, we did it to say, like, hey, let's help people hydrate. 
put more water in their body, put the proper ratio of electrolytes. And, mm-hmm. we, you know, we have a whole bunch of liquid stick packs you add to water. So we're encouraging people to drink more water. If you can hydrate better, it's going to have a, a positive impact on your sleep. If your sleep gets Absolutely. better, you're going to feel better. And for me, it's not as much as like focusing on the body. Like, you know, I've been an athlete my entire life. I think most of us have. I, I've totally overlooked the mind mm-hmm. and kind of performance mentally. So like, I look at this as these are tools to help support this growing as a muscle and, you know, supporting the daily practices, you know, post these kind of peak catalytic experiences and and really focusing on like meditation, you know, whatever it is for you, meditation, breath work, yoga, um, you know, prayer. It doesn't make a difference. I hate yoga. <laughs> I did yoga right before I showed up here today. I go to yoga twice a week. I go to yoga twice a week now. You told I do, us that. I do a slow flow. Yeah. And I register online for the class at night. And I hate that. I get anxiety. I'm like, I fucking hate this. I don't want to go. <laughs> I wake up. It's Monday and Wednesday at 10 a.m. I wake up in the morning like thinking, man, fuck this place. I don't want to go to mm-hmm. yoga. Driving over there, I'm pissed because I hate it. I hate every moment of the class. <laughs> but there's never been a yoga class that I've walked out of that I wasn't glad I went to. 100%. It, so the, the, the things, you know, I'm 45. And the two components as you get older is elasticity and longevity of tissue. And yoga, you're going to suck at it. Like there are things I've always been, everything I've ever done, I've always been good at. Like I put the time and energy, I've always referred to myself as a starter. Last fucking place in yoga. (laughs) Every time. Nationally, I am the worst. I'm ranked last in the world. It's so bad. Dude, like, and and it's all these older women and so my 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 personal email is uh, baker black at gmail black's my middle name and so it comes up they they think my name is black mm-hmm. so they call me blackie in class so i go hey blackie do you need do you need a a, a, a baluster i was like yes please so like i just I, it, i'm so bad at it uh-huh. but i feel remarkable afterwards you do yeah i mean i literally before i showed up here i i had some time to kill and i went to a like a hot yoga class that's awesome 45 minutes and I was, to- I agree, your sentiment. I haven't done yoga in like eight years. Oh, and I, I, I went with my wife for the first time on Tuesday to get back into it. And I was terrible. Felt horrible, was struggling. My foot was cramping. Oh, yeah. You're shaking like a leaf. Like, I'm like fuck? pouring, like it wasn't even that hot in the room. And I'm like, I think I dumped three liters of water. There's not a woman in this class that could last with me more than five seconds in an octagon. And here they are. (laughs) Here they are dragging my ass. But like, it's, it's humility. Like, I'm like, you know what? I don't expect to be able to, I'm not as flexible as them, but like, I just go in and I do what I can do. Sure. And if they're doing a movement that I can't do that or transition into another, I'll just stay in the one that I'm, that I'm like, well, I'm stretching the shit out of my, you know, my groin right now. Uh I'm just going to hold this. So sometimes there'll be three movements down the, down the class and I'll just be stuck in like, you know, happy baby or something. (laughs) (laughs) You do. You do look like a happy baby. I would agree. I look around in the hot yoga. So I went a couple of times. I was like, I don't know, six, eight months ago. And immediately I'm into it. I'm okay with it. Like I'm a halfway yeah. flexible human, but immediately in the hot yoga, I'm looking around and I have a sheen on me. I'm slipping off the mat. I, it's infuriating. I, it's I, infuriating. I'm slipping yeah. off the mat. And yeah. I'm looking at these other people like, why do I sweat so much more than you? I know. Oh, I'm like hey, a man, fucking I, salamander. I leave a pool of water. I feel terrible. I'm like so trying I, to clean it up with whatever 
dry there is yeah. no dry part of my towel oh, they like give sopping it up with more sweat yeah or when you don't bring a towel and they give you a towel and it's only this big yeah, yeah. yeah. you know it's a what am i doing for the yeah. listeners it's like 24 by 12 no but it's yeah. like i'm it's gonna start being <laughs> wet seven minutes in i'm, an I'm hour gonna class. start wearing cleats because i get so <laughs> mad when my feet slip <laughs> but you know one of the things that the, the the most damning thing is like Melissa will go with me mm-hmm. from time to time uh-huh. and like we'll be doing this position and I'm just sucking ass and I'm like uh, this is awful and I'll look over and she'll just be completely in the position and smiling at me like you're doing great and I'm like shut the fuck up and stop looking <laughs> stop looking at me and don't make it look easy you you're, yeah. stop looking at me in fact move your move your mat over there stop yeah. you're judging me yeah, yeah I, I feel like there should be a buy-in so you should have to do i don't know deadlift four or six five. deadlifts yeah. 315 <laughs> at the door out of here. oh man baker's the only one in the class today yeah yeah just me, just me and uh and d depot the instructor but anyway so um protect the products that they make that yep. I that I'm a huge fan of. I take the Clarity, mm-hmm. uh, Lions Mane, Lions Mane. Complex. I take two before nice. every podcast. Why have you not shared? Because I haven't thought about it. You're so, well, selfish. I don't are have you kids. sure it works? So focus, all, all focused on the mind. I'm too busy yeah. loving myself, dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Clarity, I'm a huge fan of that. I like the plant-based BCAAs mm-hmm. for, for cycling, and they, they're getting better too. Yeah, I like those. Um, and then the hydration. Big fan of that because I like to ride a road bike for exercise. And I hate sleep aids. I won't take melatonin. I don't take ZMA. I don't need anything to fall asleep um, because if I take the sleep aids or CBD and stuff like that, I'll fall asleep, I'll pass out, and then at 3 o'clock, I'm wide-ass awake because it's worn off. Sure. Um, I live in Florida at sea level. When I come out to Utah, I'm at altitude – and I cannot sleep worth a shit out here. Neither can Michael Shea. It's something we complain about. So I brought a pack of rest with me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this stuff. So normally, I go to bed out here anywhere between, depending if we have dinner, uh, 10 to 11.30. And I wake up at 4.10, wide-ass awake. This trip, this week, every morning I'm waking up between 6.16 and 6.23. Yeah, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the rest. Shea said the same thing. We were talking about it before. He's like, yeah, dude, it's like I can sleep through the night. And it's fantastic. So I love it. Those are the products that they make that I am a huge fan of. The Clarity, the BCAAs on uh, workout days. I like hydration because I live in Florida. You sweat your ass off all the time. <laughs> you get out of the shower, you dry off briskly. You're sweating. And uh, the rest, now, huge, huge, huge fan of the rest. Yeah, and the, the whole point uh, with rest is we didn't use melatonin. You yeah. know, melatonin is yeah. a hormone. Groggy. It, you, yeah, you become super... de- you t- dependent on it, right? Yeah. Your body t- will stop producing it if you're taking it consistently. So we, we work on the GABA system, so GABA, L-theanine, and valerian, valerian root mm-hmm. um, to tr- just relax you, put you in a, a state of mind so you're you're ready to go to sleep. Okay, so huge no grogginess. Fan. Huge fan of the no grogginess. Yep. Yep, same. Because I've tried, I've had to try all the things over the years. Calm, uh, calm with melatonin, and it, I wake up feeling shitty every yep. time. I hate it. I, it's horrible. Melatonin straight, uh, Z-Quil, whatever the fuck they call it, or sleepies. The sleep, your rest is the only one that actually works for me. Now, good or bad, I've taken two at a time before. I have as well. Okay. Because I was like, <laughs> man, I'm all, I'm going, and I like turn on my little meditation thing, and I'm like, I'm yeah, going to yeah. do two tonight. Yeah. I, know I mean, I, it's, got... there's no, I mean the, the, the amount of each of those active ingredients mm-hmm. is, is low enough that you could take two and you're fine. I think, it, I think two is kind of like where I would probably stop. 
Okay. Yeah, um, no, I would never, <laughs> I would never do any more than that. But also, double the dose and hope for the most. Well, yeah. but also, I I noticed because I saw your new packaging, so I went on the website just to yep. see what it looked like because I'd seen the more rectangular yeah, packages yeah, the, over the, the last. Yeah, the Gen One packaging with the the square sachets. We went to the stick pack. Nowhere does it say keto, and I'm big on this. I don't fuck yeah, around. Yeah, I yeah, will yeah. look at vitamins and go, no, fuck no. There's like yep. or a something, and there's a carb yeah. in there because I do the ketoy shits, but none of your shit. Has sugar. None of it. Yeah, we use stevia. Is, so yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, so we have no sugar, no junk. I mean, we tried to keep everything as simple as humanly possible, mm-hmm. right? And literally, they're tools, right? Mm-hmm. They're tools to get you to drink more water and sleep better. Mm-hmm. So even if you walked away from all of our stuff, if you start to galvanize that routine of hydration and your sleep is improving, I feel like we did our job. Yeah. Now I want you to do it. Be a customer forever, but yeah, I need rest for <laughs> I need rest forever. Yeah, I'm a, I yeah. struggle with sleep. No shit. Baker gave me two on the first day. First two nights, take it, boom, out, wake up in the gym. Everything's great. Yeah. Last night I was like fucking Baker. You didn't have it. Any, yeah. I didn't fall asleep till three thirty in the morning. You know, <laughs> got it here. I'm like fuck. I feel like shit. So, anyways, I love the product. It's fantastic. I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's awesome to hear it from people. All right. So, where can they find you? Uh, so protect.com. Uh, that's the company. Spell it. Uh, P-R-O-T-E-K-T dot com. And then uh, I mean, you can find me. If, you, if somebody wants to talk to me about mental health, I mean, I actually, I really enjoy that. Yeah, please. I'm on Instagram. Um, I think Nick Norris 1981, um, I think. Yeah. Um, you find me. You Where can, can see my happy. Where can they find Tim Duba? 1980. Tim Duba? St. Augustine, Florida. You, could, you should, yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, give him, give everybody his personal email address. Cell phone, all that good stuff. <laughs> Cell phone number? <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> But yeah, I mean, Instagram for me, I mean, Instagram and protect and then the website, but uh, yeah, I'm serious about the mental health thing. I mean, the thing that fires me up, the whole reason this company even exists is because I want to try doing something like give somebody a tangible tool mm-hmm. to do the things that you need to do forever yeah. and then be an advocate with, you know, with vets yeah. and, and other organizations that are, that are really moving the needle. I mean, they're, they're doing the hard work to kind of get this stuff available to everybody. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's awesome. I mean, yeah. If I could do that solely for the rest of my life and just be able to help people that are struggling, you know, my yeah. life would be better off. Yeah. Yeah. And Outstanding. For, <laughs> for the people uh, watching this on YouTube, um, I haven't asked legal or anyone for approval or permission. We're going to throw a discount code up in the comment section on our YouTube page. So if you want to try the products out, uh, go to uh, BRCC Podcast YouTube page. Look in the uh, description of this episode and we'll have a discount code in there. Try some of this stuff out. It's fantastic. Thank you Watermel- so much. Watermelon's new as oh, well. Man, it yeah, the green, the green box. Delightful. I, it's I, it's my, my favorite now. Yep. And it's like. I like the yellow. I, like I don't assign yellow. fruits because nothing tastes like <laughs> the <laughs> colors. Yeah. Well, I, I like, like the purple. Uh, I like green and black. Yeah. yeah we'll green and black that. is now my favorite, but I do like yellow. Yeah, yeah. Rolf, one last thing. What's up with the logo? Where'd it come from? Uh, mm. So it's a rooted T, right? So. Protect is in the center of the word, so easy to target that one. But root of tea, right? So we're trying to establish kind of like the foundational practices mm. that people need. So it's like building stronger roots, right, through those routines and those best practices. That's and awesome. I also thought it, like, it kind of started to look like a grounded symbol, which is means the same thing. But if you're in a, a if you're an electrician out there, mm-hmm. grounded symbol is like that little line with two little lines going Thanks. the other way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it worked out that way, but. Uh, yeah, I mean that's what it's that's what it's all about. Creating those simple foundational routines to keep you grounded and if you don't tip over when it gets windy out. I like right. it. <laughs> no, that was outstanding. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, yeah, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy.